Hi, everybody. This is Sharon Lamb and Madeline Brote. And we're here with the podcast Sex and Ethics. Have I got that down now? How to say it? I think so. I think ethics was appropriately serious this time. <laughs> Great. I guess I want to explain for our three fans why there was such a long break between podcasts. But life happens, shit happens, and we're just on board again right now. Really, for our new fans, this isn't a long break at all because you're binge listening and you've just started our podcast this morning, right? It's just three hours later now. Yeah. And you're just going to have us in your head constantly over and over because you've listened to the next 15 episodes. <laughs> and here we go. But I want to say something too about what we're talking about today. And some of the stuff we talk about isn't current, but it's always current. Sex and ethics stays current. And when you're taking a philosophical perspective, you're deliberative. You're not reactive. Although I'm always getting the urge to send out an op-ed like for the Kavanaugh hearings, maybe it's better to let things settle for a while when you're trying to do philosophy. Come back to it later on. There are enough people out there reacting right away. You agree, Madeline? I absolutely do. Sometimes when people comment really quickly, it comes from an emotional place rather than an ethical place. When you're thinking ethically, you really need to put some of that emotional stuff aside or look at how the emotions are guiding your thinking. And it's really hard to do that in the moment. So yeah, I like I, that we paused. I mean, we haven't even said what this episode is about yet, but it can be written down. But I just want to pick up on that idea of ethical deliberation as only rational that you're hinting at and not emotional. <laughs> Get in <a> with <laughs> you right from the start. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I, I totally agree that people are reacting emotionally like that. But I don't think that philosophical deliberation is unemotional, too. Yeah. We will use our emotions and our affect and whatever psychological terms we want to use to fancy up that word emotion <laughs> <laughs> while we talk about consent today. Yay! Yeah, so consent. We have fresh and new perspectives on consent, even though we've been talking about it for a year. And maybe that's why we have some new perspectives on it. And that's because we're in a research lab together. When you're in psychology, a lab isn't a lab with, what do you call those sort of- Beakers and like <laughs> test tubes and like pipettes. You know, Definitely when... not our lab. <laughs> a pink and purple liquids going yeah, 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 yeah. there. It just means we meet every week and discuss these things and come up with new ideas and critique some of the current ideas. And so a lot of what we're talking about today, ideas that other people in our lab have talked about, and we've forgotten who said what when, and can't give proper attribution, but they're just like, so with us with all of this. And, and yeah, so shout out to Julie and Molly and Sarah and Inga, and all the other people who have been part of those conversations over the past year. Yeah, yeah. And then from England, Leah and Charlie Brown, too. Yes. We're international. <laughs> Ooh. So anyway, so we're going to talk about consent, and we've got so much to say. We might do two episodes on this. We'll see where we get today and how to start. But the theme of our talk about consent is to challenge that idea. Over and over, we've been saying consent is not enough but it seems to be the gold standard or the dividing line about whether a sexual encounter is an assault 
or not an assault. We've been arguing over and over that this might be a legal definition, but why do we have to hang our hats on that legal definition? Yeah. I want to be clear and say we aren't saying that consent is a bad thing, but I think we're arguing more that consent is not is not a good place to stop, that we have to make it more complicated than just that. This morning, I was thinking mm. about how we treat coercion and consent as the opposite. If something's consensual, then it's not coerced. But no, there are plenty things that people consent to that are coerced. And then I'm hearing some philosophers say, but then that's not valid consent. And I'm mm. saying, but there are levels of coercion and there are some ways that people are coerced without having their, you know, a gun to their head or their hand mm -hmm. behind their back or their whatever sort of rapey image I'm not going to say. So you're saying that consent is not as simple as tea, basically. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So let's go over this. Has everyone <laughs> seen that episode on YouTube, that little video? I certainly hope so. My students said that it's part of their freshman year orientation now, that consent is simple as tea. Mm -hmm. And it isn't simple as tea. Nope. And, and there's something that bugs me about, about campaigns. We're going to talk about some of the campaign posters later on, but campaigns about can consent that take the obvious, teach it. Oh my pause. gosh, who's, who's joining our podcast now? Daisy, come here. Daisy, come. Now, what a wonderful interruption by my dog. We're introducing Daisy and asking Daisy, for her opinion. She has Daisy. a lot of important thoughts to say. She always asks for consent before sniffing another dog. I don't believe sure. that for once. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. She can sit on your lap while we talk today and, and yeah. enter, you know, one of our favorite podcasts is My Favorite Murder. And somehow they're able to keep their cat from talking until the very end, Elvis. I, I don't know how Elvis does that. And <laughs> Daisy definitely does not meow on command like Elvis does. I wish she did. Right. And, and we don't have the fancy editing right now. So shout out to Dan, our editor, and just yes. a, a, little, a little direction to say, it's okay. Leave Daisy in. She adds <laughs> Don't you add charm. Don't you add charm, you little girl. You. Okay. So we're back to that consent. It's as simple as a, a cup of tea. You don't tea into somebody's mouth when they're unconscious as if somebody needs to know that when they have sex with somebody who's asleep that that's wrong mm -hmm. i don't it's what i don't like is that that positions can we just say men and knowledge from the beginning yes there are some problematic sexual encounters that women initiate but the vast majority on college campuses are perpetrated by men Absolutely. Right. And, and we'll do a podcast sometime about women vendors or who act out or problematic. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's not today. <laughs> yes. So we're going to be clear. We're using male pronouns for perpetrators today. So everybody's totally drunk at this party and some woman passes out and some guy at the party, I don't even want to say has sex with her. I don't want to say rapes her. I just want to say sticks it in her. Okay. Just to be, and I mean, it's and very clear, right? He knows that he shouldn't be doing that. I don't think like a little video that they show freshman year is going to make a difference in that, except if uh, there's just a little ping in his mind, like, oh, this is illegal when he's so drunk and doing that too. Yeah. 
think it really infantilizes the idea of men that they are so stupid that they don't know better. Right. Uh, and I, if I were a dude, I would kind of be offended by that. I am able to have ethical, moral thinking. Right. So consent's important. End with that sort of thing. What else we should do besides consent and keep with the critique right now about what other mm -hmm. problems we have about when we put consent forward as the thing to other people. And just as a framework for who we are and what we do, we have the sexual ethics curriculum, we have the Humane Acts bystander intervention training curriculum. We're all about caring, sexual ethics for a caring society. We're all about bringing caring back into sexual ethics and not thinking of it as a matter of autonomy and rights. There's something about autonomy that's troubling in all sorts of things, not just sex, and that's that constitution in, the, in mm -hmm. liberal ethics. You don't want to patronize people or take away their agency or imagine that they're not free to make their own choices, and yet you also want to acknowledge that there are contexts that limit people's choices and agency and get in the way of their having equal autonomy or equal agency to somebody else. Did I explain that okay? I think so. I, I think some of the ways that like <laughs> neoliberal ideas have impacted our thinking is incredibly problematic. It doesn't allow us to be as connected to each other as we actually want to be. That it strips context and kind of places stuff like sexual decision making in a market when it really shouldn't be. Right. So let's go back to the consent and what's the, what, what are some of the problems with just using consent? What are the ways in which consent is a problem, even when it's obtained? So let's mm. say it seems like that on college campuses, people would like individuals to negotiate consent verbally while dancing or walking back to a dorm room or even while naked in bed that they would like it to be ongoing for every act, like, and now I will move my hand here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we will try this. Is that okay? And it presupposes an initiator and a gatekeeper. And the way these scenarios go, they doesn't sound like a kind of mutual thing where people are testing each other out. Mm -hmm laughing, chatting, or just suggesting physically. People believe sex is, goes in this sort of way, like you're messing around and then, boom, you've got to get consent for intercourse. Or there are all these scary little aspects to it and you better get consent for each scary little aspect. It, it almost sounds like those like decision-making charts where you're like, if yes, go this way. If no, go this way. And that's not how sex happens. And it also presupposes that with our terrible sex education system, that people feel comfortable saying stuff like that out loud. Okay. Well, let's get to that point. <laughs> your first point about this is when you said this is how sex happens, I'm thinking about the way there, about the idea of social engineering. When you start putting mm. campaigns about the way sex should be, you're doing social engineering and you're trying to shape the way sex should be. And I'm not sure that campus policymakers are the ones who, who should be determining what's the best, most pleasurable, most ethical way for sex to go. I think they have a cover your ass <laughs> motivation for yep. that and they don't want to be sued. 
And so should the way sex go, we've had enormous freedom over the past 30, 40 years about the way sex should go. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the 60s about that. But there's a lot. Of- I want to shout out the 60s. Thank you, 60s. <laughs> Free love. Well, there's sort Woo. of a lot of arrangements and a lot of things people do and a lot of negotiation or celebration, celebratory sex, I would say. To, just mm-hmm. a lot of things that are acceptable within certain worlds. Yeah. But <laughs> why did I lose track? I'm thinking about all the ways that sex could go. Hmm. <laughs> It could go that way. But as soon as you get college or a Title IX office or president's office saying this is what we count as problematic sex and this is the way sex should be, you're policing it in a way that isn't through the law. I mean, nobody's running out and arresting like Lenny Bruce for his dirty talk or uh, gay men for hooking up in a bar. I mean, people aren't arresting people for that anymore, but your social engineering through discourse and through these campaigns, and it becomes, we should just be aware of it. It looks like mm-hmm. we're doing it for good, but Foucault was right when he said, prisons are awful. They've been awful for a while, mm-hmm. and prison reform has always coexisted along <laughs> with the awfulness of prisons. We can thank Inga Schongert for that thought. She's in our research lab. It's almost as if what the social engineering that campuses are doing right now about consent is a way to maintain sexual assault as it always has been, but to cover their ass for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can defend that, but I'm just trying up that little view. Okay, so what was your second point? My second point was about poor sex education. I taught a, a freshman seminar class this year, and some of them were so uncomfortable with even the idea of saying stuff like penis or vagina or talking about how sex isn't perfect and that sex can be harmful, that the idea of them being able to speak out loud with a partner about, is this what I'm doing oh, is okay? Or can I touch you here? Or I would like to lick you there is so preposterous. I I think back to when I was 18 and I was so uncomfortable and nervous to be having sex in a room with another person. That was intimidating enough, much less saying stuff out loud. I I don't think I could. So I don't think it's about being 18. Yeah. I mean, I I think I could now. One, you can? Good for you. (laughs) I mean, then apologetic, like, I'm sorry to interrupt this sort of thing. Or I I mean, there's just so many tasks for sex that you have to do. I just feel like it's a burden to think about how to say it and to say it the right way. And there's a part of me that, that wants a protected space for sex where people can let go. Because I think that the letting go and going with the flow and being responsive to another person back and forth is part of the beauty of it rather than a transaction. And that doesn't mean you can't ask questions like that, but the idea Mm -hmm. of continual questions over and over about this and then that and checking it out. Maybe the question should be, do I need to check out everything with you? Or can we just go ahead? Yeah. I like that as a thing. Be like, can we make an agreement that you stop me if I start to do something you don't like? And in our sexual relationship, I can trust that you'll actually be able to do that and that you won't experience the freezing reaction of the mm-hmm. fight 
flight or freeze. Well, I'm going to stop you at that. Can we make an agreement too? Because I'm just, it just this idea of the contract bugs me so much about sex. That, that language just bugged me. Agreement. So re let's reword it. How would you say that in a cute I sense? I don't know. For me, when I was thinking of agreement, I was thinking about setting a boundary. I, as the human, have boundaries that I exist in the world with. And I have a boundary that when in a relationship with someone, I can choose what we do or don't talk about. I have friends that I don't talk about certain stuff with because they've asked me not to. And that's not necessarily a contract for me. It's more a request for respect. Maybe we can say request for respect instead of agreement. <laughs> well, <laughs> request. I mean, there's this thing. I, I have sympathy for the buzzkill aspect of negotiation. For sure. Because <laughs> if you're not well-versed in it, it could be very robotic and very middle management-y to ask stuff like that. But I also came of age at the time where it was common to use diaphragms. You came to age in a time when condoms were... So that, those are buzzkill moments too, or they can be <laughs> yeah. in that sort of pause. So we've negotiated, I mean, we've, we've gotten our way through buzzkill moments before and introduce one more buzzkill moment. How am I going to know that things are all right? Ooh, I like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How am I going to know like it a lot. all right as we just go with the flow here? Mm -hmm. And if yeah. somebody can't say, oh, you'll know when things aren't all right, <laughs> if they'll say, I don't know, then I think you got to stop for a minute and say, oh, I don't know if I'm good with that. If yeah. Some of these campaign posters, these are consent campaign posters put out by colleges, say, ridiculous, where they say, if I'm screaming, that means no. If I'm asleep, that means no. If I turn out, turn my back to you, that means no. Oh my goodness. So obvious, yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's almost farcical. It's almost, oh my gosh, I'm blinking on the movie. Dr. Strange love levels of ridicule and like overblown stories about what not to do. It's not that difficult. Tell me about Dr. Strangelove. So Dr. Strangelove is a movie about the Cold War and how Americans and Russians were fighting with each other. It was satire designed to help people see how ridiculous our policies were. And at the end, the American president ends up sitting and riding on a nuclear bomb like he would a horse throwing his hat around above his head like a full-on cowboy because he's so gung-ho about doing this damage to the Russians. He's not able to see that he is damaging himself by actually writing this nuclear bomb. So it's almost about like a, a satire about mutually assured destruction. But for me, some of these like consent posters are so ridiculous as to be on that level of satire of like not being able to see the forest through the trees, that we can't see that this should not have to be talked about. Can I just take a moment to appreciate you right now? Because, oh, for what? Because, I mean, because Dr. Strangelove is a movie from my generation, right? Yeah, yeah. And I just like that intergenerational thing that you know things from my generation that I don't. And hopefully that'll be vice versa. We're crossing yeah. back and forth there. I like that analogy. To you, I want to read to you some of these consent campaign posters and people can look them up online, mm -hmm. something like that, and see what your reactions are to some of them. And I'll try to give credit to the school that puts them up. But seriously, I think schools borrow freely from other things. Absolutely. At least from what we've seen. Because you worked on a campaign 
a consent poster campaign analysis with one of the English students. We've seen a lot of these. Charlie with Inga. This one, I'm glad that there's no visual here because it's called consent is simple. If it's not yes, it's no. But they have little smiley faces on, how shall I put this, like parts of people. Like here's a butt, here's an African-American woman's breast, here's a hand, here's a vulva, and here's a penis. And they all smile on it. I just want to say the vulva is pink and glowing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, somebody got into that art. <laughs> I'm not really thrilled about objectification being part of a consent campaign. Like, why are we reducing people to part? Right. You nailed it. And if it's not yes, it's no. I don't think so. I just don't think so. Because I know I want to, and, and I know other people want to preserve the idea of saying, well, let's see. Yeah, I think that's not an, a super unique idea to you. I know lots of my friends in kink communities, they have a system for safe words that includes yellow of like, I'm not sure. We can go a little bit further, but I'm letting you know, I'm kind of about this idea. Proceed with caution. Yeah. Yes. But seriously, if we have the driving analogy, I mean, I'm an aggressive driver. And when it turns yellow, I'm like, move forward really fast. <laughs> But at least w whether or not you are that type of driver, it can help you understand the where your partner is at without having to do some of that questioning that we talked about that could be kind of complicated or problematic. Okay, so newsing is not choosing. What's our problem with that one? Oh my God, it's cutesy. I'm not six. I don't need a nursery rhyme to know how to have sex. <laughs> right, and I think we know that. I think we know yeah. is not choosing, and it, it either makes men out to be idiots, or it makes them out to be they didn't. Oh, well, they didn't know, so they're not responsible for having sex with somebody who was asleep. Oh, snoozing isn't choosing. Thank you. I'll, I'll refrain. That argument reminds me of almost it, maybe a year ago or so, there was a teenager who was arrested for drunk driving and had actually murdered a person. And there was a mental health professional who diagnosed him as being too rich to know that there were any consequences. Well, Do you remember what I'm talking about? A good thing for us to think about with the political stuff going on right now, mm -hmm. December 2018, the defense, you're too rich to, you're too rich to be ethical. And it's really sad that parents didn't teach you. And it can go all the way up into your 70s and through your whole career as mm -hmm. a career or a politician. Well, thanks for that. How <laughs> <laughs> Paying for dinner does not mean yes. Mm. I think everyone knows that already. Well, I also think it harkens back to maybe something probably between your generation and mine where it is a common thing to have dinner. And I don't think it recognizes the changing realities of how dating works now. Right. And even back then, to pay for dinner might be hopeful. I mean, I don't think anyone mm -hmm. thought it meant yes. And I think when some asshole was said, but I paid for dinner... If there were such an asshole, there probably was. Even he didn't think that it really meant yes. He was just grumbling about not getting what he thought he was entitled to after. Absolutely. Here's, here's a really complex one. It's not sex when she doesn't want it. Oh, okay, good. Good. <laughs> Glad that we've got that clear. No indication of how to tell that. No indication of how to talk to the person. It almost sounds like that you're placing the woman and her body with a giant set of words of no. 
Okay, here's the poster that, oh, I, I haven't been seeing where they're from and I don't have a reference for this one, but this is the one that I feel is, maybe it's supposed to be sarcastic. Shoving you away means no. Means oh. Alone means no. Passed out means no. I'm not ready means no. I don't feel like it means no. Drunk or drug means no. Get away from me. No. Screaming means no. Don't means no. Crying means no. Wow. Okay. So, huh. yeah, I mean, I yeah. who are they imagining needs a reminder about these things? Well, what I was thinking about is that this, this image calls to mind the imaginary rapist in the bushes. Yeah. And like how women would fight off that imaginary rapist in the bushes when we know that most of the sexual assaults that happen are not like that. It is not that extreme. It is really unlikely that a woman is likely to fight back in those physical ways that it's referencing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Here is a new school. And I like the new school. I talked last year at their Beyond Consent conference, which means they're thinking a lot about getting beyond consent. Their poster says, ask first, and then they give a lot of examples. I like my ears kissed, but not my neck. <laughs> do you okay. like this? What positions do you like? I like that last time. You're right to try that again, but right now I'm not in the mood. <laughs> if you're into it, I could. Oh, may I kiss you? If I change my mind, we'll stop. What's your favorite safe word? Yes, totally into that. Anyway, so those are good examples. And it's good to have examples. I'm just being that super critical person I am. I just wouldn't want a poster to tell somebody we, we expect sex to be this Q&A mm -hmm. at the beginning. But any one of those seems like a, a good thing to add to your vocabulary. You agree? Yeah, I agree. Okay, so then we get to these posters that give you so many uh, criteria to check off. Is consent clear? Is it active? Is it coherent? Are they on alcohol or drugs? Are, is the person giving it under pressure? Mm. Is it ongoing? Consent must be granted every time. I'm just afraid that that's where I start to think this is social engineering. This is like a micromanaging of the sexual situation. And maybe it's, maybe it's just like that new school where we're throwing out a whole bunch of things. So remember some of it. And yeah. here's as a checklist. And in fact, Sheffield Students Union has a poster that actually makes it a checklist. And I don't think those are bad things to have in your head when you're trying to enter into sex with someone. But I do think that the idea of having it be an actual checklist and having it be that rigid goes back to what you were saying about some of the ways that they suggest that you ask questions, that it's awkward and it's excessively contractual. The other thing is, is if this is the first one that we've talked about that mentions alcohol and drugs. And that might be a whole, that might be our episode two, because that gets really complicated when you're talking about consent being invalid whenever someone is slightly under the influence. And it's probably more complicated than that. Right. I do want to get into that. And I do think that we might not have time today and we should do a second episode on consent and alcohol. Right. I want to be clearer on this idea of, of the subjective experience of, of mm. sex and how this micromanaging seems too, too much like a policing of who we are and how we feel and maybe 
have a, what do you call it? A backlash or like come back and, and increase the, what's the word I'm thinking? I'm not low back yeah, on, on women that they just mm -hmm. didn't do enough or say enough or not just that men didn't ask enough. Oh, okay. So, so we'll put a pin in this. We'll definitely be discussing it further. This is a little teaser. Ooh. Tossed this out already about that you can be feel ambiguous. Men can feel ambiguous too. Mm -hmm. ambiguous. They can feel ambivalent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Help me with my words this morning. Help okay. the professor of so many years. <laughs> so people can feel ambivalent about what they want to do and still go through with it. That's okay. And there's something about sex that at its best, it's playful. Well, maybe not at its best, but one of the ways sex is at its best is if it's a form of of human play because then it's it's not purposeful it's not mm -hmm. towards orgasm necessarily or about relief or but it's about i mean just the world opens up when you play and that doesn't mean to make it superficial it, it, because as you know as a play therapist i think play can mm -hmm. be very, very deep when you start micromanaging what sex is and does i feel that the the feeling of play is undermined feel that when you micromanage and you start giving these checklists to women, it makes them, and men, I, it, it, makes, it makes everybody feeling more self-doubt about what they're, if what they're doing is right. And I hate to be, in, in the enterprise of having sex with people, I do want people to be ethical and I want it to be mutual, but I don't want it to be always burdened by, is this right? Is this wrong? Mm -hmm. um, if people cared about somebody else and were was sensitive to somebody else, there's just one, one or two or three big rights and wrongs. Don't harm somebody else and be, and you have to be sensitive to somebody else to not harm them. But that's not a fun legal definition, Sharon. We can't make that into a fun snappy poster with words that rhyme because well, we have to CYA. What if I were to write, make a poster that says, People are vulnerable. Just be aware, care. <laughs> oh, you even got the rhyme. Yes. You know, women are back to women are victims or they're potential victims always. And I love the yes means yes. And that women are sexual agents that that can be over presented mm -hmm. women as agents so that women need to be constantly deciding and declaring and be super strong with here's an amber rose statement if i'm laying down with a man butt naked and his condom is on and i say you know what i do not want to do this i change my mind mm -hmm. and, yeah i'm there that is fine and i support her statement but we're putting other women in the position of if you are not that strong and powerful and reach this sort of level of sexual agency as if that's a cons consistent thing across situations and people anyway, that there's something wrong with you and it's your responsibility to be clear and coherent and know what you want when you want it and know what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Tall order. And it really isn't fit with my idea of sex as a form of play. No. Hmm. Now that I've put down all these posters and things, Shall we revive consent? Yes. 
<laughs> We've beaten it to the ground. And shall we, let's miss the whole discussion about Brett Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court Justice, and Dean Ford, now hero of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. But this is too, I don't, I don't know if I can revive consent. He did not have consent. It was clear he did not have consent when he jumped yep. on her, when he groped her. But there is so much more to that situation that Absolutely. is wrong, wrong, wrong. In the very least, if you're going to be putting something out there legally and to a crowd of Americans who are so split on every issue, some are going to say boys will be boys or they were drunk or she mm -hmm. was wearing something that, you know, some people think should, women shouldn't be wearing or she asked for it for go, drinking at a party. I'm just all the most ridiculous things that people say. Just nonsense. It's good to have that line and say it was non-consensual. Just it's good to be able to bring it down to an essential. Mm -hmm. There was no consent. In spite of everything, we can start with consent. Yeah. We just can't end there. Absolutely not. I guess what we want to talk about in the future is what part drinking and drugs play in whether or not people can consent or whether they use it to enhance their playful experience, mm -hmm. whether it becomes an excuse for wrongdoing. Which I think it more frequently is, but... I'll keep all those thoughts to myself until our next episode. Yeah. Anything more about consent today and how it's, uh, we like that we like that there's a bottom line. We want mm -hmm. there to be more. Yeah. We should not assume that a legal definition is the bare minimum for ethical action. Laws are a great place to start because we can agree on them as made them laws because most of us can agree on them, but we really should be acting with more ethical thought than just what the law tells us. And you brought up the idea of, in the kink community of the safe words and mm -hmm. amber light or whatever. Just saying that when you start using the kink community as a model for good sex for the rest of the world, I don't think it's going to go far on the campus. On the campus, so we might need to sort of keep that our little secret. Okay, I randomly came up with the stoplight idea, and it had absolutely nothing with my friends who are in the kink community, nothing to do with them at all. No, I just mean that also very pragmatic. I like to think think these things through, and then I like to think what will work. Just like mm. we sort of ended. And maybe it's an ethical question about whether you put aside your principles in order to be pragmatic and effective. And when I say at the end, maybe it was good to focus everything on consent. That was kind of throwing away my principles a little bit to say, this is going to be effective at this time to prevent Kavanaugh from getting on the Supreme Court, which is the consent issue. Mm -hmm. I guess I was just thinking on college campuses, if we want to say, hey, president's office, can you take a look at this uh, website in the kink community? I think they've solved a few of the problems we're dealing with, with how to stop sexual assault on campus. I don't know if that's going to be effective yet. Darn it. <laughs> that's all. Oh, did I just insulted a whole new bunch of listeners to our podcast? No, I think we're crediting them for a delightful idea. We're just blaming the administrators, the hypothetical administrators, about not being so open to their smart ideas. Right. I want to end also with the idea. I understand why, why somebody wants to minimize good sex, ethical sex, to consent versus no consent. 
And that's because the typical liberal ethical position for sex is keep your laws off my body. And when mm -hmm. we start over-managing and over-legislating what is good sex, we are in danger of disenfranchising certain groups of people who have managed to have different but ethical sex mm -hmm. over the past 30 and 40 years, different from what, different from mainstream heterosexual sex, different from, and I'm differentiating that from different from the kind of sex you generally see in mainstream movies and TV. Mm -hmm. Boy, I'm going to go off now on pornography, so we'd better stop for today. <laughs> <laughs> we're just so we're so jazzed about sharing all of our ideas and thoughts with you guys it's sometimes hard to contain it just to one topic episode yeah sometimes can we just do an episode on mainstream what is mainstream Ooh, yes okay you taking notes for me mm -hmm. it's been lovely speaking with you and we're gonna end by saying please binge listen to us we appreciate the sex and ethics podcast Sharon Lamb and Madeline Broat and Daisy <laughs> 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 I don't know if she'll make an appearance every time but she definitely wanted to make herself heard today right so talk at you next time <laughs> okay <laughs> bye bye bye